You're listening to a sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Hang around after the message to learn more about Mission Ridge. Sermon notes for this message, or any of our other messages, can be found on our mobile app. Just search for Mission Ridge Church in Google Play or the App Store. Thanks for tuning in. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Week 27 billion of our parable series. Actually, I think it's week five. I'm just bad at counting. Um, We get to talk about the parable out of Mark 7. Like, what parable in Mark 7? You would be in good company. Uh, I actually shot a question to Marty this week. And at first he was like, parable? What parable is in Mark 7? It's a tiny little guy. And And then it's called a parable by the disciples, so... I guess it's a parable. We'll see. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll be reading it. So I'm just going to start, and we're just going to work our way through Mark chapter 7, uh, first 23 verses, and we'll, we'll pull this apart a little bit as we go. Um, and we'll get to, because the understanding this parable, because it's so short, we got to have a lot of context before it. We got to understand where, where does this thing come from? Uh, it's not bad by itself, but It's better when we know what's going on because context is important, right? So Mark chapter seven, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Notice that this was in parentheses. Okay, so this is side commentary that the writer of Mark, that Mark is giving you, right? Now, a question that you should ask yourself is, why would Mark tell us this? Well, if Mark's writing to a bunch of Jewish people, then they're already going to know about the traditions of the elders. They're going to know about washing their hands. There's this ceremonial washing that you have to do before you eat. I think it's like an egg and a half worth of water. There's a measurement for you. What this does is it shows that the gospel of Mark is written towards a crowd that is very Greek, very Gentile. It's not written necessarily with a Jewish crowd in mind. Okay. We should take note of that. It's important. (coughs) So continuing on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? A fair question. I mean, we know that the scribes and the Pharisees, they like to catch Jesus. So they're probably got an agenda for this, but fair enough. Like, all right, Jesus, why aren't your disciples doing this? (coughs) But what is the tradition of the elders? What does that mean? On the surface level, it sounds like, okay, it's what the old people do, right? It's what, it's what we've done, which is not entirely untrue, but there's a little bit more to that. So let's throw up that next, uh, I got a graphic here. This is possibly one of the most complex things I've ever done in Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> never Stay on topic, Logan. Anyway, uh, circles are hard. That's all I got to say. Um, so in, in Torah, there's, all, there's the written down law, right? 
If you've been going through our LTG reading in Exodus, then you know Moses comes down, God gives them this written law that Moses comes down with. And this is the 613, there's do's and don'ts of being one of God's chosen people. And God says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, right? What they did with that though, and for good reason, because some of those laws are confusing or vague, uh, the wording, and especially as you move further and further from that time, some of those things get a little bit confusing. You're like, what, is, what does that mean? I don't know. How, how do we go about doing that? Right? And so what the, what the Jewish people did, what the rabbis did is they started to build this oral law. And some of them said that the oral law came down with Moses. That's a debate I'm not going to get into because I don't have a dog in that right. Like, I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm not going to take a side on that. Uh, so one way or another, they end up with this oral law, this tradition of the elders that's surrounding those 613 and it had ballooned up pretty darn big. It's, and, and it wasn't a bad thing altogether. Cause this is, is this telling you like, how do you go about walking this out in your day-to-day life? How do you go about living out these 613 laws? And what do you do if they come into conflict with each other, right? There's an order in these and they start to expand on this and understand it. And that's not a, excuse me, that's not a bad thing. However, it had gotten pretty ballooned up. Apparently there was a lot of them. Hard to find an actual number. I've heard up to 3000 total. Jesus comes back in So this is tradition of the elders. They're talking about this oral law, these extra rules. Like a story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter goes into a Gentile's house. That was a no-no because you don't want to become unclean. You don't want to become defiled as they're saying. And so you just stay out of, don't come into contact with the Gentiles. Now that's not in the 613, but they, they added this as an extra precaution. So Jesus replies to them, kind of coming off the top rope right out of the gate. He says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written. It's a good way to start that unifying conversation as he does. He says, these people, he quotes Isaiah. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching, their teachings are merely human rules. Gosh, Isaiah, just nailing them, nailing them here. And Jesus continues. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions, holding on to the human traditions and letting go of that core centerpiece. Jesus is using the text of Isaiah to point the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the people, the scribes, like the guys that are in charge of recording this down. Nobody knows the law better than those guys. Jesus is quoting Isaiah to them to say, your traditions of the elders, your, your extra rules here, your, your hand washing, your scrubbing rules, they're getting in the way of you actually connecting with God. They're getting in the way of you being connected. They're separating you from God. And Jesus continued in verse nine. He says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. 
For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that you have been, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, once again, another parenthetical phrase that is devoted to God, pointing out what this means to a non-Jewish audience. Very helpful for a Gentile like myself. Then you have no longer, uh, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Okay. So a little convoluted. So the breakdown on this, the oral law is being used as justification, according to Jesus, for not helping a person's parents. You got that. It's one of the big 10 commandments. Like nothing else is really more important than those right? Honor your father and mother. I think it's number five on the list. And, and they're using this, this other law that says, uh, basically they're saying here, you can set aside this money as devoted to God. And if it's devoted to God, if it's earmarked for the church, then you don't have to use any of that money or you can't use any of that money to help out your parents. Now, some commentaries that might just be like they they were stopping people from using it to help their parents. Other commentaries say that they were using it as a like, oh, this is earmarked for the church. And then they'd spend it on whatever they wanted because it was church stuff. It's earmarked for the temple, but they'll spend it on whatever, as opposed to honoring their father and mother. There's a little debate on the commentaries on that one, but it could be as far as that. One way or another, this Corbin money, this set aside for the temple money, this tradition of theirs of declaring things for this purpose is being misused in Jesus's eyes. So, so far, Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And what we see now is Jesus opens up and he calls the crowd to him. And he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Best parable ever, right? Like that's, you were like, what a story. I was up there with a good Samaritan, right? One sentence. You wouldn't have caught it. Probably. I, I didn't catch it first time through. Now, side note, some of your translations might have a verse 16 right after that. Others will just do like a little like star and direct you to the footnote. Um, Some manuscripts that were later that they discovered it came from later times included Mark 4.23 there. It's uh, whoever has ears, let him hear that Jesus would use that at the end of this. Possible that he did that. Maybe he told this a couple times. I don't, I don't know, but earliest manuscripts don't have that in there. So that's why 16 is a little wonky. So after Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Oh, that was a parable. To which Jesus, being the loving, tender, kind rabbi that he is, responds, are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Now, 
in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Another parenthetical statement. We will come back to that and I will soapbox in a moment. Jesus went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them for it is from within, uh, for it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jen was doing great until that last one. Uh, what would NLT called it foolishness, right? Yeah. She was like, I, I had them all until the foolishness and there will be no tomfoolery, no silliness involved there. I, I went out way earlier than that. Uh, at least on pride or arrogance, um, if anything. <clears throat> so that's the end of this. As Jesus explains this parable. That's, that's the explanation of it. Now, hold the tapes. We got to talk, and we got to talk about this nonsense with verse 17. Uh, not 17, 19. Um, this all foods clean. This, this third parenthetical statement. <sighs> It's not. That's not what Jesus is doing. It's not what's going on. Now let's go back. I'm going I'm to show you a couple of different translations of this. I'll tell you how we, how we get there and how, why Logan is fighting with like most of the translations. KJ, the good old King James, one of our earlier translations says this, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, you can put that up there, but into the belly and goeth out into the draught, Purging all meats, question mark. All right, let's put that in English. So we'll go to the new King James, the next one. Next slide. Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Okay, no parenthetical statement about Jesus saying all foods are clean. It's this thus thus purifying all foods, which is a little wonky. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? I'm not really sure what's going on there. Okay, let's look at the, uh, what's this one? This is a New New Heart English Bible. They do a pretty good job. Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, then into the latrine, cleansing all the foods. All right. Uh, and lastly, Young's literal translation, like literal translations are fun. Sometimes they're wonky to read, but they're good for stuff like this because it doth not enter once once this old English stuff, kick him a pants, right? Because it doth not enter into his heart, but into the belly and into the drain, it doth go out purifying all the meats. Wonky look like you're like, what? Hmm. How is going into the drain, purifying all the meats? This doesn't, what are you saying, Jesus? Right? Let's just clarify. Jesus is not throwing out kosher laws for the Jews. That is not what is going on here. The parenthetical statement, I think, has snuck in there as a little bit of anti-Semitism that has wormed its way into the church throughout our history. We have a long history of this, and this is an example of, hmm, maybe missing the, missing the mark there. This actually has some similar vibes. I mentioned earlier the story of Peter and Cornelius. This has similar vibes to that because the church oftentimes will use that story of Peter and Cornelius to just take it and run with it of like all foods are clean. Now for a Gentile, we've talked about that sermon at least twice. We've talked about that one. So you can go back and find those. I think in the, uh, once in the Acts series and once in the, I think, Changed series. Um, but like, it, it's, it's not saying that Peter has to stop eating kosher. 
It's saying don't call unclean what I, he's, it's saying that I haven't called the Gentiles unclean in that story. And we take and we, and then the church is run with that oftentimes and maybe landed in a not good place. But Jesus is not throwing out kosher law. Remember, I pointed this out. Remember that Mark is written to a non-Jewish audience with that non-Jewish audience in mind. This is why we're getting all of these things that are expressing like, what do the Jews do? Okay. Matthew, on the other hand, is written much more to a Jewish audience. And conveniently, Matthew writes down this parable and it's almost exactly the same the whole way through. He adds a couple little extra things in and doesn't have the parenthetical statements. He adds a couple other Jewishy statements in there. Is that a thing? We'll call it. That's the thing. So let's read what Matthew, how Matthew records this story. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Jesus still kind and loving rabbi. They got that. That stuck with them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth and I'm back to the NIV here. Don't you see that whatever's enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile him. No parenthetical statement about Jesus saying the kosher laws don't exist. Maybe he puts it in later. Let's keep going. Defile him for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Matthew makes it really clear. It's really clear in the record of this parable from Matthew that what Jesus is getting at is that it's the unwashed hands. It's the elders. It's the tradition of the elders that he's talking about. He's not talking about kosher. He's talking about the traditions of the elders. He's talking about the unwashed hands. Okay. I'm not going to ever tell you to scribble something out in your Bible, but if you were, a parenthetical statement about Jesus throwing out all of the kosher laws that he continued to follow might be something that could be done. I'm just saying. Now that we've cleared that up though, okay, off the soapbox, let's go back to Mark 7, 23, 23, and let's look at the important bit here that Jesus gives us. Because it's easy to get hung up on that and then maybe miss the, the point of the parable, which would be a problem because we're in a series about parables and we should probably learn what he's talking about from the parable. So we'll read that again. He says, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them for it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Mark has a more comprehensive list. I think Matthew kind of spark noted the list somewhat there, but all these evils come from inside and defile a person. Do you guys remember back in probably, I'm going to go with at least seventh grade, maybe earlier, the order of operations in math? There's some knowing. Lori's like, absolutely not. Don't, why are you making me remember this? The order of operations, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, was what I learned for parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division. Uh, yep. Yeah. You work inside out, right? You learn this order of operations. You start with the parentheses, you end with the addition and the subtraction, right? And if you don't do that, you end up with the wrong answer, right? But if you do follow that, then you're going to get to the right answer. 
Jesus is giving us in this parable, he is giving us an order of operations, an order of importance, an order of magnitude, maybe, of how to live for the kingdom of God. He's taking all of that law and he's saying, the main thing needs to be the main thing. And the secondary things might be okay, but they don't need to be the main thing. The secondary things cannot get in the way of the main thing. Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Possible remez, maybe for this. It's tough with a parable that's like 30 words long. If that might be 10, two sentences. You're like remezes. What am I supposed to get out of it? There's not a lot to, to connect there, but Jesus in his explanation is talking about the heart. Disciples might've thought of this above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's kind of what Jesus is saying of all these evils come from the inside and defile a person. If, if you're defiled by what's in your heart, Jesus is saying, because he's putting this thing, this main thing is the main thing. He's putting the first thing first. He's saying the first thing you need to worry about is what is coming out of your heart. Worry more about your intentions Worry more about what kind of person you are. Worry more about what kind of character you have, your integrity. Get that right before you start worrying about whether or not people are washing their hands. Now, in a post-COVID world, I realize that sounds a little scary. Although I realize like people stopped doing that after it became unhip because I haven't replaced soap at the Zach in forever. So people can't be washing their hands. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. so please do wash your hands, but get your heart right first. (laughs) Maybe both. Jesus is saying, if you don't clean your heart first, then it doesn't matter how much you scrub your hands. It doesn't matter how well you followed the tradition of the elders. What's going to come out of you will be defiled doesn't matter what you're doing there. If your heart's a, a twisted up knot of anger and hate, a twisted up knot of racism or envy or jealousy, if, you, if, you, if your heart's not in the right place, what comes out of you is going to be missing the mark. Because that's really what, like defiled is a strong word in our vernacular. Unclean, it's a little less strong for us. feels a little, just like missing the mark sinful, just not, not within. And they, they have a different, like we think of defiles like, well, it's ruined forever. No, 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 no. They just have to go like do the ritual cleansings and now you're clean again. It's an inconvenience for some of these things. And the Pharisees take that to the extreme. They try to never, but still it's, it's, you, there's no physical way to live a life without like to live a kosher life and not be defiled at some point. So to put those little things, hand washing, and and make a mountain out of that when it's really the molehill and miss the mountain of, hey, you guys are completely using and abusing your parents. You guys are missing the mark hugely here and calling it good. 
you don't clean your heart first, then it doesn't matter how well you follow whatever church rules you have. What comes out of you will still be unclean. What comes out of you will still not be in line with God's kingdom. Some of you probably have some experiences that are popping around in your head with churches where some tradition of the elders or oral law, if you will, was placed way out of its order in the operation. It was definitely a subtraction and they made it a parenthesis, right? They're like, this is the most important thing ever. You shall not run in the sanctuary. Don't you dare stand on that pew, Logan. Absolutely not. What instruments are allowed to be played? Drums in church? Uh-uh. Instruments in church? Absolutely not. I know, I know that <laughs> some of you come from that one. You know what I'm talking about. Dancing? Playing cards? What clothes you need to wear or not wear? Certain foods or beverages that are taboo? right? Churches a lot of times, and I'm not saying that those are wrong. Like if that is your community and your community decides to take that thing and say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be how we go about living out God's kingdom. That's okay. But only if it doesn't get in the way of you actually loving people, that's where you got to have grace in that stuff. And a lot of times it's easier for us as, as church goers to just like latch onto them and be like, no, you will wear a dress on Sundays. And if you don't, then the church is going to burn down or something. We do like, we do this in our modern day. Like this parable is still important for us. Now we, knowing that we have to start from this, it needs to start from our hearts. It needs to come from a heart change, not from don't get hung up on the little stuff. <clears throat> I know there's some possible remez action in judges 14, um, specifically around like verse eight or nine. I'm not going to get into that right now, just because I don't want to, I'm going to, this is like my one chance to ever finish a sermon on time. So we're just going to, I'm going to let you go find the remez, but it's, it's the story of Samson and there's some lions and honey and dead carcasses and unclean things and parents involved. And there might be some stuff there that you could go read that story and maybe pull some implications that would be in line with this one. Maybe having your heart be all janked up bleeds and impacts others around you too. Might be an implication you could get from that, but I'll let you go explore that. The main implication that I want to leave you with today, though, is while everyone around you is judging you by your outward appearance, God considers your heart. Now, while everyone around you is judging you by your outward appearance, that also means that you are judging everyone around you by your outward appearance. And I'm judging everyone. Like, this is how we interact with the world. It's really easy to fall into this. And I'm not expecting anybody to stop doing this. This is just how we interact with people. As we move and become more and more in line with God's heart, hopefully we do that a little less or we do that a little slower maybe, right? But we're still going to be judging people by their outward appearance. It's just going to happen. We need to be aware of that so we don't fall into the trap that the Pharisees do. 
of getting hung up on the little things. Like, yeah, I'm judging that, but that's a little thing. It's a little check yourself before you wreck yourself sort of action. But while, while that's going on and that's what the world is going to do, God is concerned with your heart. God considers your heart. So you could be doing this. This works the other way too. You could be doing all of the right things. You could be punching all of the right, all the right, you know, uh, punching uh, tickets, punching all the right tickets, check bar- checking off all the right boxes, whatever. Words are doing great today. You could be doing all of that stuff really, really well. But if your heart is still twisted up, God sees that. He's like, I really don't care that you sang the song really well. I don't really care that you served those people. It's good. I'm glad you did. But he's not going to, like, if your heart's coming from a bad place, it's still defiled. It's still unclean. It's still missing the mark. And God is concerned about your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. He answers his own question. Like one line later, who can understand it? The Lord, I, the Lord, search it and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds deserve. So he's not ruling out the deeds, but the heart informs those deeds. Jesus is saying, keep that main thing, the main thing. Worry about that. Stop worrying about whether the person next to you is washing their hands right. Worry about your heart. When everyone around you is judging you by your outward appearance, God considers your heart. That's also a good thing. Because sometimes our outward appearance is a hot mess. A spicy disaster, I think is a term that I saw the other day. I'm I'm going to adopt that. Spicy disaster. I love that. But God's going to consider our hearts because even sometimes our hearts in the right place and our actions are just wonky, right? So there's grace in this too. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Focus on making sure that the heart is not a place that's holding on to any of those things that Jesus lists sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Start rooting those out. Then worry about scrubbing your hands. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come join us for worship. Service times, location, and loads of other fun stuff can be found on our mobile app or our website. You can find our mobile app by searching for Mission Ridge Church in your app store. Our website can be found at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in.